Say so the title of our sermon today is the last week we talked about the big picture. Today we're talking about the big two. You may not know what that is, but in a moment I will reveal it to you. Let's pray together as we get started. Uh, God and Father in heaven, thank you so much for uh, really calling us to excellence through Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us such a great purpose that we can strive to be our very best because we want to honor and glorify your holy name. And God, we want so much also to see others come to know you because there's no greater joy in this world than having a relationship with you and having salvation through Jesus Christ. Help us to never take it for granted. Move our hearts today that we can understand in a greater way what you've called us to be and to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of the things I'm trying to do to help us uh, is to stay focused, uh, to make sure that with all the hustle and bustle of life that we're not distracted by this or, or, or trying to do too much of this. Uh, the, the, the scriptures really a lot of times just bring things down to basic principles and commands that we need to hold on to. And, and so that's why I wanted to entitle this sermon, The Big Two. In the Law of Moses, uh, when you go back through the Old Testament, uh, Moses gave God's people 613 different commandments. It's a lot of stuff. And those commandments and those laws frustrated a lot of people because no one could live up to all of them. And it opened the door to help us to see our need for grace and mercy because if we're judged totally by our works and our deeds, we all fall short. And so God sent Jesus uh, to motivate us to live by faith, but also to help us to understand that even if we fall short, we have the blood of Jesus and God's love to comfort us and to uh, bring us back, to restore us and to help us once again to live lives for him. Now, in those commands, 613, 248 were positive commands. That means uh, do this, do that. And 365 were negative commands. That means don't do that. And if you do, you will die. Uh, that, that was kind of the motivation. Now, a lot of us, we remember the Ten Commandments in Exodus 5 and, and, and I mean, I'm sorry, in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, we have the list of the Ten Commandments. And, and those were the, the commands that were written on those tablets and really are the ones that people oftentimes focus on in the Old Testament. But there were many other commands and commandments other than just the Ten Commandments. But it was great just to have those ten because you could prioritize those ten. And, and, and most of them are repeated in the New Testament. We're no longer in the, in the New Testament asked to keep the Sabbath holy because in the New Testament every day is a Sabbath to God and is to be kept holy before God. But in the New Commandments, when you're reading the Gospels and you're reading all the epistles and uh, the things that Paul wrote, if you added them all together, there are 1,050 commandments. 
So that's a lot of things that we're called to do and to be as Christians. And though all these commandments are important, the scriptures bring it down to two. And so that's what we're going to talk about. The big two. These two you must do if you want to go to heaven. If you want to live a life pleasing to God. Now we find it over in Mark chapter 12 and there are parallel scriptures, but Mark 12 is, is my favorite when it, when it comes to Jesus dealing with the questions of the Pharisees and Sadducees, teachers of the law, who were trying to catch him in a trap. But Jesus was so sharp, so insightful, and so wise that he oftentimes flipped the tables on them. In Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him of all the commandments. And like I said, 613. Which is the most important? And then Jesus answered, the most important one is, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So it came down to those two. Well said, teaches the man reply, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. You know, Jesus, he wrote the law, so he had insight into the law. But it comes down to this, all these commands. And you can exhaust yourself trying to, to, to memorize all of them or to know all of them. But if you do these two things, you most likely will obey the other commands. And it comes down to, number one, what is it, church? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. Not rocket science. Not complicated. Very simple. But not always easy to do. In a parallel scripture in Matthew 22, in Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked this command, his, his response in Matthew 22 and verse 37 was, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus went on to say, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That it all comes down to these two commandments, all this stuff you're reading in the Old Testament, all these laws, all these regulations, all these things God is, is calling you to do and to be, comes down to this. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Understand your duty to God. Understand your duty to man.
Understand the need to prioritize God and understand the need to treat other people as you want to be treated. You know, obeying this, this first command, this first command to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Who, who doesn't know that one? We all know that one. But just because you know something doesn't mean that you're doing it. And you can't hardly dispute with anybody whether they love God or not. I mean, don't even try to get into that argument because you will lose. Therefore, God has to define it for us because if we define it for ourselves, we will come up short and with answers that most likely are incorrect. Obeying this command to love him with all your heart this is the, at, at the root of our faith. This is the command that gets you through your Christian life. This is the one that you hang on to in the good times and the bad times. This is the one that you must meditate on and decide to obey even when the whole world around you seems to be crumbling and other people are losing their minds. You hold on to this command. That I'm going to love God. I'm never, never going to let that go. If you hold on to this command, you will never fall away. You will never stray away from God. You will never be taken away by Satan. But you've got to hold on to this one. If you don't obey any other command, you've got to learn this one. This is the one that Moses said in Deuteronomy. You impress this one on your children. You teach your children. If you don't teach them anything else... Before you teach them how to play baseball, before you teach them how to play basketball, before you tell them how important school is, you make sure they understand that there is nothing more important in life than you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He created you. He made you. Your parents, I'm here because of him. Every good thing in your life is because of him. You must teach and impress upon your children to love the Lord. And you should honor them and praise them for that. Well, they brought home good grades. Do they love God? They made the team. Do they love God? They got a scholarship. Do they love God? Are they going to get a scholarship to heaven more so than get a scholarship to some school? That's what's really most important. So how do I practically put this command into practice? How do we put it into practice? Because, you know, a lot of times when it comes to love, you know where we go? We go straight to feelings. And some days I feel close to God, and some days I don't feel close to God, and some days I feel like doing what God wants me to do, and some days I don't feel like doing what God wants me to do. And that's just human nature. That's just the way we are. Some of us, we didn't even feel like coming here this morning, did we? we, didn't, we didn't, and some people who didn't feel like it, they didn't even come. But some of us, we didn't feel like coming, and we got up and we came anyway, didn't we? So you practically put the first and the greatest commandment into practice by making right choices. By making right choices. It's what you do. And not just what you say. It's what you do and not just what you feel. Okay? I have been married to the same woman for 35 years. And in those 35 years, I've always been faithful to this one woman. And, and, the, and the, the, the way I show my faithfulness to one Cynthia Washington Powell 
is by making the right choices. You understand what I'm saying? When the birthday comes along, you make the right choice. And, and you might be thinking, well, you know, it's been 34 birthdays or she's had, you know, 50 birthdays or whatever. Do I need to give one more gift for one more birthday? Absolutely. You make the right choice. Says, well, I don't, I'm getting some applause down here. I don't feel like spending the money. I don't feel like it's in the budget. You break the budget. You, you take care of this one. You make the right choice. Because this is how you show her, I still love you. You're still first. And, and it's, it's true with remaining devoted to any endeavor, you have to keep making the right choices. You can't go by, well, I feel in love today. No, I don't feel in love. You know what? You did me wrong this week. You ain't getting no gift. You're not getting That's not how you do it. You keep making, am I right, choice, church? You make the right choices. And so when it comes to God, the way you show God your love for him is you make the right choices. You get up on a cold Sunday morning. You don't feel like going. You don't want to get out of bed, but I'm going to make the right choice because I love God. I and some mornings you get up, you don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to pray. You sit there and you're like, my mind isn't working, but let me get going. And you open your Bible and you get going. Why? Because you're making the right choice. You're on the job. Somebody's flirting with you. You know you ain't all that, but they're trying to get you to think that you're all that. And so for a moment you go, whoo, whoo, man, they think I'm something. But no, I got to make the right choice. Get behind me, Satan. I'm making the right choice because I love God. It all comes down to making the right choices. And the problem with some of us is that we know the right choice to make and we don't make it. And yet we still want to say we love God. It comes down to making the right choices. Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5th chapter. And this is where Moses lays out the Ten Commandments again. And look at what God says. Deuteronomy 5 verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of, for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Now, jealousy in this context, it's not wrong. I'm jealous for my wife. And I want her to know that. I want every other man who would even think about looking at her more than five seconds to understand that too. That's a good jealousy. Because she belongs to me. And God, in the same way, is jealous for us. I sent my son to die for you. You're my children. You belong to me. Therefore, don't let other gods come in and compete with me. Why would you do that? You belong to me. You committed your heart to me. You said you would love me, and now you're, 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 you're messing around with the world. And you're messing around with other things. Don't bow down to other gods is what he's trying to tell us. Uh, down in Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. The Bible says, fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. Only. Take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods. The gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you, says it again, is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you. And he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Manasseh. God is saying, or Ermasa, do not, do not bow down. Don't let other gods come in and take your heart away from me. The God of self, where we decide that, look, I'm just going to do what I want to do when I feel like it, and no one else is going to move me. Then you're God, and God is not God. Because if you're going to live the Christian life, you have already decided, I will deny myself to please God. The God of pleasure, where we allow our flesh and the temptation of the world to rule in our lives rather than God. And God is saying, look, you show your love for me by saying no to temptation, saying no to sin. And yes, it does make your life better when you live God's way. But every day we, we have to make this decision. It's not like you make this decision one time and then that's it. Every day you have to make the decision that I'm going to love God as he commands and he, as he desires. The God of greed, the God of pride, the God of anger. Where sometimes we can get out of control. And we've got to understand we've got to submit ourselves to God who tells us to be angry and sin not. To not allow your anger to control you. So your relationship with God is like a flower bed. You know, every spring my wife gets out in the yard and she plants a few flowers. That's the easy part, planting the flowers. But then as she plants those flowers, even though she didn't plant them, here come the weeds. And the weeds come up right where the flowers are. And you got to go out there and you got to deal with those weeds on a weekly basis or they will overwhelm your flowers. Same thing is true with your relationship with God. You have to constantly remove the weeds that are trying to grow up in your heart. You've got to constantly work to keep him first, to keep him at the center and the heart of your life. To not allow anything or anyone to come between you and God. Hear me on this. Not even your family. And the Bible says, honor your father and mother. And to love your family. But your family is not more important than your relationship with God. God gave you your family. And so you shouldn't allow your family now to separate you from God. And sometimes people are afraid to make the right decisions because they're more concerned about pleasing their families than they are about pleasing God. Your job or your career should not come between you and God. It's just not worth it. He says, well, Sam, I, I need the money and I, I need this. Do you not trust that God will provide for you? But what would you have gained if you gained the world and, and you get the promotion and you make all the money and you lose your salvation? Lose your soul. Don't let it become. Matter of fact, before you take the job, let the people know, here is the schedule that I must have because God is going to be first in my life. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend cannot come between you and God. 
Matter of fact, sisters, I would tell you, if your boyfriend does not love God more than he, he loves you, you need to run away from him. He's not worth it. It's not worth it having a relationship with somebody that loves you more than they love God. Or is willing to compromise for you rather than remain obedient to God. That relationship, you, you may not see it right now. But it will not work. It's just going to cause you more headache and more heartache because when it really comes down to it, you're going to want a man who is strong in the Lord and is going to lead you to heaven and who will not compromise his convictions. And I don't care how handsome he is or how educated he is or, or, or what kind of bicycle or car he rides or drives. It doesn't matter. You better find somebody who loves God first. Am I right, church? And the same thing goes true with the girl. I know I've hit this many times, but pretty ain't enough. It just ain't enough. Says, well, Sam, I ain't never had nobody that looked like that be interested in me before. Yeah, but let me tell you what. When you get in a confined space with somebody who does not love God the way that you love God, she won't be pretty anymore. It just won't be worth it. And, and so you got to understand if, if, if that, that's just not enough. It's just not enough. And it's not worth it to compromise your relationship with God just because you want a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Come on. Your education can't come before God. And your recreation can't come before God. You need to show God that you love it. And really, this only makes your life better. But really, it comes down to this. It says, well, you know, Christianity has all these rules and has all these things you can't do and you can't. No, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that'll take care of everything else. That's the way we've got to think. Now, this is easier said than done. You know, there's a man in the Bible. His name's Solomon. Wisest man who ever lived. His, his dad, David, was a man after God's own heart. And he wrote many of the Psalms that move us in our quiet times. And he tried so hard to impress upon his son Solomon his need to love the Lord his God. Matter of fact, he told him time and time again that you need to seek God first. But this is what happened in 1 Kings 11. And, this, and what happened to Solomon can happen to anybody. And if you don't think it can happen to you, then you're wiser than Solomon. And I don't think you are. In 1 Kings 11, verse 1, it says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, Satanites. Oh, that's not in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Now, this was hard for Solomon because these were beautiful women. He had 700 wives. That's how many wives this brother had. I mean, he had 
two wives for every day of the week. He held himself, he held nothing back. And, and, and the Bible says, it says it right there, I, I, I got ahead of myself. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after their gods, after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And so Solomon, because he allowed himself, opened himself to entertaining these gods, these foreign gods of these foreign women, he thought he would be strong in that. He thought that, hey, I would, it, they won't get me. It won't happen to me. I'll never lose my love for God. I'm going to love God with all my heart every day of my life. And then it happened. Because all you got to do is give Satan a crack in the door. Just give him a little foothold. And some of us, we started out, we were so fired up for Jesus. We were having quiet times every day, sharing our faith with anything that moved. And then as time moved on, we just kind of slowed down and we opened up our heart to other little things. And let me tell you, when Satan comes, he doesn't want just a corner. He doesn't want just a room. He wants the whole house. And the only way you can stay right is to keep God at the center of your heart and not allow anybody or anything to come between you and your God. Learn from Solomon. Learn from his life. Why do you think this is in here? So we can learn from him that I need to guard my heart and make sure that God is first in my life in everything I do. And it should be obvious to you and anybody around you that you are deeply in love with God. That he has first place in your heart. If Solomon can lose his way, we can lose ours. So let's make, our, make a decision. Number one of the big two. To love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then let's talk about number two. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the church said, Amen. help me, Lord Jesus. See, he says here, the second is like this. The second is this. See, when God sees your neighbor, he, he doesn't necessarily see what you see. He sees someone created in his image, made for eternity, made to have a relationship with God. There are a few other scriptures that drive this point home. Romans 13, verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and what? Ever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Church, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Again, in Galatians 5 verse 14, Galatians 5 verse 14, the Bible says, The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. And all you got to do is go and read the, the, the books that John wrote, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. John tells us time and time again that if you don't love your brother whom you have seen, you can't love God whom you've not seen. The real evidence of our love for God is how we treat other people. This commandment is one that we can easily assume. I'm obeying this command because I'm not hurting anybody. And I'm not harming anybody. Therefore, I must love them because I'm sure not having conflict with them. That's not what it means. Love is proactive. Love is action. That's what love is. I hear, I just want to have a little talk with you for a minute here, church. I hear the complaints in the church, both directly and indirectly through Paris. And I think a lot of times there's just a double standard in our lives. We want what we're not willing to give. The commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Love your spouse as yourself. Think about that. The next time your wife asks you, can you go in the kitchen and get me a, a, a glass of water with ice? Before you mumble and grumble and stumble and, and talk, ask her if her leg's broke or not, just before you do that, before you do that, just ask yourself, what would I want her to do if I asked her to get me a glass of water? Love your wife. as You know what the Bible says? He who loves his wife loves what? Himself. That's, that's what it means. Talk to her like you'd want her to talk to you. Talk to him like you'd want him to talk to you. You know, when he comes home from work, welcome him like you want to be welcome. Don't sit there going, well, I wish he'd done that and I wish he'd done what have you done? Love them as you... It's like, well, I would love him that way if he would... That's not what the scripture says. Love him as you want to be loved. Love your children as you, as, as you love yourself. Treat them the way you want to be treated. You don't want anybody talking down to you and treating you like you're a munchkin. Now, I know you're the parent... But still, you, you teach and train your children how to communicate by the way you talk to them. So treat them the way you want to be treated. Love your parents, kids, as you want to be loved. As you want to be treated. You wouldn't want somebody just always asking you for money and never helping or, 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 or lifting a hand to help around the house. You wouldn't want that. Then why do you do it? Think about it. Love the Bronx ministry as you love yourself. You know, if you're in the singles ministry, love it as you love yourself. Don't complain about it. Love it as you want to be loved. That's the only way you can fix and change anything. You're sitting off in some corner with your, rolling your eyes going, I don't like this. This ain't for me. I wish we had this. Well, then, is that how you would want to be Treat it if you walked into the singles ministry, into the edge ministry. Now, we, we've been talking about this thing with Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah came back to the Israelites. You know what he said to them? He said, you see the trouble we 
are in. We. If there's a part of the Bronx ministry that's struggling or weak, it's not they. It's not them. It's not those people. It's us. It's we. It's ours. And if you don't see it that way, then you're not obeying this commandment. Anybody can complain about what needs to be better. When you're going to pick up uh, your, your hands and help out, get involved and help out. That's what love is all about. You know, I went to the Edge Ministry Wednesday night. I'm not single. Don't plan to be. And thankful to be where I am. But I went because I care. I love the brothers and sisters in the Edge Ministry. And there's sisters there, (laughs) Rosie and different sisters, who show up. Show up on a Friday night, freezing cold, and no complaining, because all they know is this is my ministry. And then there are others of us, we don't even show up, and when we do show up, we're distant, we're reserved, we're not involved, we're not giving, because we're selfish, and we're there thinking about what is this ministry going to do for me, rather than what can I come and do for this ministry. And the Lord says you need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You're sitting next to somebody, then reach out to them and love them like you would want to be loved if you showed up for the first time. That's the spirit of Jesus. That's the spirit of Christ. Love the campus ministry as you love yourself. (laughs) Paris told me to tell you. To love the campus ministry as you love yourself. You show up, well, where are the refreshments? You show up, you know, the singing and what it needs to be. You show, what are you going to do? What did you bring? Come on. That's loving your neighbors yourself. Love the youth and family ministry. Love the married adult ministry as you love yourself. You know, Antoine and Pam are doing a wonderful job. They're doing a wonderful job. We're coming together this Friday night, and it's going to be awesome. And, and, and I'll tell you what, they're talking about some deep stuff. And they got us offering groups, and we're coming up with scriptures and, and, and trying to, to figure out how we're going to apply these things to our personal lives. And, and I was in my little group last time we, we were together, and, and we tried to come up with some answers. And I won't even talk about the group I was with, but they were marvelous. They were marvelous. Wonderful. We're laughing, having a good time. But a lot of you weren't there. You weren't there. And it's like, why wouldn't you be there? Well, because it's, it's, that's what they do. That's their thing. See, you don't, you don't feel ownership. Oh, well, you, you want it to be great when you show up. But how can it be great if you're not giving your heart to it? 
Could there be anything more unlike Christ than for us not to love a part of this ministry like we want to be loved? How can it be better? How can it be more awesome if you won't give your heart to it? Yeah, and I plan to be there this Friday as well. And I'm not teaching. And I'm not preaching. I I didn't even get to give an announcement last time we were together. But that's okay. Because sometimes I need to be ministered to, but I'm more concerned about meeting the needs of the body than I am just about my own little world. You know, Nehemiah went on and said, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Let us do it together. Whatever aspect of ministry that that you're a part of, get involved. Love as you want to be loved. This is the second commandment. Get off of the, the periphery of the ministry. Get involved. Get in the middle of it. Don't just circle the globe from the outside. When you're going to land and join us. There's a lot that needs to be done. If the walls are weak or torn down anywhere in the Bronx ministry, help us start rebuilding. We got a long way to go, don't we? But the way we get there is by loving God. Number one, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is his church. And if you love him, you will love his church. Number two, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love the people in this ministry like you want to be loved. I don't even want to hear the complaints if you're not picking up a hand to help. If you're not willing to get involved. That's what it means to be a part of God's church. It's just the big two. Just two big commandments. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If we do these things, we will give glory to God. And the world will walk in and see that God is amongst us. God bless.